Now, if you have not done the due diligence ahead of time to ensure that the person stepping into that role is well prepared, or even that the organization is well prepared, what you can have is a situation where there's a bit of disruption, destabilization, or even confusion within the organization. If you're in the corporate world and you recognize, wow, I really want to get experience in this department or that department, but my manager hasn't approached me for it, it is up to you to put up your hand and have the conversation with your manager or with HR or with whomever. It is up to you to put that on their radar. Welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. The Leaders of Learning podcast show is a podcast show that explores learning in the 21st century, where I interview leaders, academics, experts, and entrepreneurs on professional and organizational development. Succession is a process. It's not a matter of handing over a title, a bunch of documents, or an entire department or business. When succession is done well, organizations become more resilient in changing times and employees become more united towards the long-term vision. However, most businesses struggle to find the right successor. Or their selected successor might be unmotivated, incompetent, or just never ready. So, what can we do to make succession successful? What do we need to consider if we want to hand over a business or role to our successor? Joining us is Rochelle Clark, a global strategist and founder of Succession Strength. She brings nearly 20 years of strategy experience to help business owners overcome barriers to smooth succession transition. Welcome to the show, Rochelle. Hi, Ling. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Mind if you could please share with our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you became a succession specialist? Absolutely. So my parents owned their own business and I've been surrounded by family-owned businesses my entire life. My background is in strategy and business continuity and I did that for about 20 years in the corporate world. I received an MBA specializing in strategic management. Now, personal tragedy in one of our businesses within the family, when the owner passed away, leaving an unprepared successor, really led me to research and understand the areas of vulnerability within these businesses. And what I found is that succession is the primary one. So as a result of this, I decided to lend my expertise in providing solutions when it comes to succession, particularly for family-owned businesses. I've written a book about critical succession conversations for family-owned businesses, and um, Forbes magazine has asked me to come on as a regular contributor when it comes to the topic of business longevity and business continuity. I don't think there are many consultants who specialize in succession and business continuity. So what was the primary motivation for you to tackle this issue? Yeah, very good question, Ling. To be quite honest, the statistics that are widely quoted state that about 70% of family-owned businesses do not transition successfully to the second generation. 
And to be quite honest, the impact on families, employees, and the communities that they support is tremendous. The primary business structure around the world is actually the family-owned business, and it accounts for just over 60% of the GDP in the, within the United States alone, and much more in other countries. So I decided to tackle this issue because I recognize personally, based on my family situation, that the impact when succession goes incorrectly within a business, whether it be a family-owned business or, or in the corporate world, the impact could be tremendous and it could be extremely destabilizing. Mm, that's really new insight for me. I didn't realize that 60% of businesses are family-owned and that's in the United States? 60% of them account for the GDP of, of the United States. So that's the contribution to the overall GDP pie for, for the entire United States of America. It's much more in other countries where the number of family-owned businesses tends to be even higher. I know that within the developing world, for example, you know, whether it's Latin America, places in Africa, I'm sure also in some countries within Asia, the number of family-owned businesses would be much, much higher, just because as it tends to be, not in the more developed countries, but in the developing countries, this tends to be the way for the family to be self-reliant. So as you can imagine, the, the, the infrastructure for, you know, formalized business um, structures tends to be a lot less. So this is where the family-owned business really flourishes. I recall a few of my friends and their parents own pretty successful businesses. But when it came to passing along to my friends, none of them were really interested in taking on that business. They wanted to go out on their own and become independent and try to start something by themselves without having to rely on their parents. <laughs> so I do recognize that within my own circle of friends and, and network. Mm -hmm. It's very common. It, it happens. It happens throughout the world. Do you see that happening in the corporate space as well, where you have, say, uh, C-suite leaders trying to build a succession pipeline into their role, but they're unable to find the right one? Or if they find someone, it might not be a good fit. Absolutely. Within the corporate world, what you find is that within the C-suite, not only the C-suite, even levels below, you find members of the human resources team really try to enforce what is called bench strength. And by that, I mean ensuring that there are multiple levels of potential successors in the event that one role, for whatever reason, becomes vacant. This is a way to mitigate the fact that it is very possible that for whatever reason, you know, a successor may not be willing, may not be ready. Maybe they decide to leave the company earlier than, than planned. And as a result of that, there can be a gap within the organization. So in order to avoid having that gap, what you find is that at least within the corporate world, there are multiple levels of succession that the HR team members really try to build into the structure. I also recognize that there are some companies who do not put in much effort into succession planning because their focus is on getting the results or focused on their current leaders and not making sure that there is a pipeline to, to take over in case anything happens. So if you had a chance to speak to these businesses and these companies, why do you think it's so important for them to prepare for succession? As Ling, you know, to be quite honest, this is something that is seen within the corporate world and even within a family-owned business because what you find is that a lot of times the intention is there to ensure that the business is well protected by having a backup plan. But when the rubber hits the road, when the reality, you know, really comes to light, at the end of the day, a lot of companies are really just looking to survive or looking to ensure that they are profitable day after day. 
and the focus tends to be on the immediate results. So as you can imagine, and as you have rightly said, at times, the importance of succession gets put on the back burner. Without the correct preparation, what happens is that you know, if it's a family business or if it's in the corporate world, what you find is that there comes a time when you need to fill a role and you need to fill it relatively quickly. Now, if you have not done the due diligence ahead of time to ensure that the person stepping into that role is well prepared or even that the organization is well prepared, what you can have is a situation where there's a bit of disruption, destabilization, or even confusion within the organization. And this can actually lead to a slowdown in processes. And what you may end up doing is not setting your successor up for success. At the end of the day, that person stepping into the role might not have had the benefit of being really prepared for that role. And the fallout on the other team members, that which I haven't even mentioned, can also be tremendous because then you have existing people in the organization taking on elements of that role that maybe they didn't even have the, the bandwidth to support. So there are some definite negatives and some definite downsides to not preparing for succession properly. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a really huge downside if businesses don't prepare for succession because you put in so much of effort to build your business. And if a key position is left vacant, it's only detrimental to the continuity of that business, be it in corporate or in as a family business. Uh, what do businesses need to consider when it comes to their succession planning? You know, when it comes to succession, there are a number of things that need to be considered. First of all, it's very important that when you're thinking about a succession or you're thinking about who is the right person to fill this role, it usually and it should start with a conversation. In a business, the, the outgoing owner needs to have the conversation with a potential successor to ensure alignment of goals and desires. But in the same way, in the corporate world, the manager needs to have the conversation with you know the person on their team to ensure that the information is captured for employees in a process that's guided by human resources, by the human resources team. The importance of this is alignment. How do you start a conversation like that? Because I can imagine it's not an easy conversation to start. You can't just go like, hey, I, let's sit down and have a chat because I want to give my stuff to you. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't usually happen like that. Although I think if you were to boil it down to, to get to a summary, it's essentially that. But no, to be quite honest, um, what we advise is that it happens naturally. And it's, it's an alignment conversation. You know, it's not a conversation where anything is really set in stone. The purpose of the conversation is to understand where the person is mentally and where their goals are for the future. So it can be, you know, the organization coming to, or, or the manager, I should say, because it's a person-to-person -person conversation. And typically, this one-on-one -on -one conversation is a private conversation that needs to be had. And it's the manager trying to understand what the goals, what the motivations, what the desires are of the employee, so that those can be noted. Because at the end of the day, it's very important that those those goals and those desires are built into whatever the next the person's next role is and this is very similar for a family owned business where the owner comes to the potential successor and they have a very informal conversation to understand what their goals are and at the same time it's about the organization communicating to that person you know these are the potential this is this is where we see someone in your position going in the future. So this is what the career path might look like. It's usually not just one conversation. It's typically a series of conversations that, that can be had. 
So it's the alignment. And it can be that you need to revisit this conversation a few times, maybe over the course of a few years, because as you can imagine, people's desires can change over time. So you always want to ensure that you build in some time to check in to ensure that you're still in alignment going forward. But let's take one step back. And before we even have a conversation, don't the leadership or management need to go through a selection process to determine who is the right successor? And what do they need to consider in that selection process? Yes, absolutely. So there are a number of things. First of all, they would need to understand what what is required of the new role. You know, what skills are needed, what functional skills are needed for someone to be successful in the new role. Likewise, they need to take a look at all of the potential successors to understand where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. So it's essentially a skills gap analysis to understand, okay, this person that I'm considering, what what do they bring to the table and what do we need to develop within them to ensure that they can fit properly into the new role that that is being proposed. So this this level of analysis to understand both what is required and what the gap is between a potential successor and what is required in the new role, it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. So if we've already selected a successor and we had the conversation with them, I believe conversation alone is not enough. What else would the successor (laughs) need, right? Yeah, if only conversation. Yes, conversation is definitely not enough. So thank you for pointing that out. What is what is very, very, very important, crucial, crucial, crucial is having a tailored preparation plan for that successor. Now, within this plan, we need to ensure that there are timelines to ensure that there's good monitoring and accountability to ensure that that successor is able to learn the right skills or through the right experience get the right skills or, or or aptitude in order to assume the new role that is required of them. And this preparation plan is not usually a one-size-fits-all fits all plan. It's usually based on the results of that skills gap analysis. Once that is complete, you have a tailored map of how you will be preparing this individual for this upcoming role. And it's very important that you execute what's on that preparation plan to ensure that that person indeed is being prepared for the role. Based on your clients and your experience, do you see a common skills gap among successors that need to be filled before they take on key roles? Uh, to be quite honest, a lot of times the, the skill gap that we see, especially in family-owned businesses, comes from getting that hardcore experience. And I think I, I can more or less relate this a little bit to, to the corporate world as well. There is no substitute for real experience on the ground and within the role. And where the where this tends to be a little bit tricky in terms of a family-owned business is that sometimes it's really hard for a family member to get that hardcore experience within their own family business. So what tends to happen in that case is that their preparation plan may include an element of getting outside experience at another firm which is also what happened within my own family business, which was an accounting firm. The successor being prepared went to get full-time experience within one of the big four um, accounting firms. The importance of that is to A, learn the structure of working in a big organization. And that includes, you know, the account, the level of accountability that should be there, as well as the, the quality of work that should be produced. Mm-hmm. And that holds them to a different standard that may not be possible at times within a family-owned business. 
So that level of experience is really, really key. Earlier, I mentioned that I know some friends within my network itself who are tagged to inherit their family business. What happens when the successor themselves doesn't want to take over the business or the key role, but yet that they are selected to be the successor? What usually happens or what would you advise businesses in such cases? Yes, Link, to be quite honest, what we advise is that in a situation like this, that means that there was a failure in that initial alignment conversation. Either it did not happen or it was not complete or elements of it were not taken into consideration. Because if that alignment conversation happens the way that it should happen, that successor should be free enough to communicate what their desires are and what their goals for their lives are in a way that's a non-threatening way. And at the same time, whether it's their manager or whether it's it's their you know family member owner, should be taking that into consideration as well. Now, if, for example, you run an accounting firm and the person that you would like to be the successor wants to be a singer and they have comfortably communicated that to you, then immediately you know, okay, there is not an alignment here. Perhaps I should consider someone else. What you find is that if you have a situation where that conversation didn't happen or it did not happen in the right way, there can be a misalignment of goals, a misalignment of intentions when it comes to the actual role. And this is something that you do not want. And the reason that I say that is there are many situations where you will rely on a person in a role when things, when the going gets tough, as they say. That person needs to be able to dig very deep to get the motivation that is required to get over the hump, to get the organization over the hump, or to get their department over the hump, or even their own team over the hump. If you have someone in a role who is not fully motivated because they want to be somewhere else, their passion lies somewhere else, what you will find is that when times get tough, that person may just not be able to really dig in in a way that would be beneficial for the organization. The only thing that will suffer would be the organization and the other members of the team at the end of the day. So we really avoid against having someone in a role that they have communicated that they don't necessarily want to take. Unless it's an emergency situation where it's just a temporary fix and you have both agreed, okay, maybe I'll be in the role, I don't know, for six months or for one year, then I'll go off and do my own thing. If that's your agreement, then that's fine. But if there's a misalignment, then that's a no-no. I think especially in Asia, because we want to please our parents, you want to make them feel proud of us. So if we choose to live our life and choose not to accept the inheritance, then there's this inner mm-hmm. conflict that we have to deal with. And thank goodness you say that it's a matter of both sides having an open conversation to make sure there is an alignment or not. And ultimately, is for one, the motivation of the successor and for the continuity of the business. Absolutely. And then, you know, it comes down to legacy because there is, I I completely understand and agree that at times there is that pressure from obligation to take over a a family-owned business. But, you know, if you're really just thinking about that, then it can be seen as disservice to the legacy of the family and the family-owned business Because essentially, you're not in a position to give it your best and give it your all, which is what the persons ahead of you would have done. However, if you have the conversation early enough, 
then the business is in a position to say, okay, that's fine. Perhaps we want to hire, even if it's temporarily until maybe the next generation comes up, we can hire a third party person to run the business. You know, if there's a gap or maybe there are other siblings that can be considered for the role. So what I'm saying is, is that by voicing any hesitation, it still gives the business, it still gives the family, it still gives the community or the opportunity to find another solution that still works for the benefit of all. Now, if you go back to the question about the common gap among successors, and you were saying for family businesses, usually the successor does not have enough of the right experience in order to take over the key role. If we look within the corporate environment itself, the successor or the, the selected person to be to succeed the key role, what if they're in a position where, you know, you can't go out to another company and gain experience and come back, right? So how can this person gain extra experience so that they can be ready for the key role? Absolutely. And, you know, I say this because this has also happened to me within when, you know, in, in my time in the corporate world. This is the opportunity for short term assignments to come into the picture. This is an opportunity once the organization is aware and has done the due diligence and has enough time to prepare in that situation, then they're able to craft what may be a short-term assignment for a potential successor that really gets them into their desired department and gets them that experience that they would not have within you know, their regular course of business. So there are still ways, even if it's you know, within the corporate world, there are still ways within the structure to ensure that that folks get that experience before assuming a role full-time. It has happened to me, and I have done it for other folks as well. Although I think the corporate world would be a lot more competitive than family business. So let's say I'm an employee in a corporate, in a regular corporate, and I know there are the HR is looking for successors. How do I make myself be selected to be a successor? Yes, and you, you bring up a very good point, Ling, and, and this is something that I should mention. A lot of times, you know, people say, you know, for a family-owned business, well, it's the owner who should start this conversation. Or in the corporate world, well, it's my manager who should start this conversation. Or it's HR who should start the conversation. And for this, I say, absolutely not. It is the responsibility of everyone. If within a family-owned business, you recognize that the owner hasn't brought up um, a scenario like this, or if you're in the corporate world and you recognize, wow, I really want to get experience in this department or that department, but my manager hasn't approached me for it, it is up to you to put up your hand and have the conversation with your manager or with HR or with whomever. It is up to you to put that on their radar because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Everyone is kind of so focused on ensuring that, you know, their their KPIs are met and that their day-to-day activities are taken care of. They do their best. The intention is there. But, you know, not everyone is a mind reader. Very many people are not. So, so if this is something that you really desire and it has not come up naturally, then when you have your touch points with your manager, and hopefully those are, those are scheduled, but even if not, it's up to you to schedule some time with your manager or the owner or whomever and have a casual conversation to say, hey, you know, this is something that I would like to consider in, in the future. This is some experience that I would like to get in the future. And maybe if, if you have done your due diligence, you can even propose a way that you get some experience within that field. Hey, maybe I can work on this or that project that's coming up within this department so that I can get that experience. But it's a two-way street and we all need to be responsible for our own development as well as the development of, of the company or the organization as a whole. 
I can see how that works well for everyone. So if I'm an employee in a corporation and I go to my manager and say, hey, I'd like to try out these projects and get these experiences. So even though in the end of the day, HR decides not to select me as a successor, I would end up gaining these additional experiences, which I could bring elsewhere. Exactly right. And it can be, it could be that maybe someone else has a little bit more experience or, or skills that are a little bit stronger than yours. So you may not be the first choice to be a successor. But within the pipeline, the fact that you have now gained and developed skills that are within your target role, what that would do is bump you up a level in the pipeline in terms of consideration. So it's not all for nothing that you're getting this experience because A, it's something that you're obviously passionate about if you're passionate about if you have put up your hand to get the experience. So, you know, it it can only help you in the long run. I'd imagine that after you have succeeded someone, so let's say the key role has been made vacant and you are meant to take over that role, it's not as easy as just handing it off a title or, you know, just using the skills and experiences that you've learned in your you know, development journey. What other support or things that need to happen when you're already in that role that you're preparing for? You know, maybe the announcement goes out that X person has now assumed the role of whatever the role might be. The journey is not over when that announcement goes out. Actually, the journey for that person more or less has now begun because, yes, they have done the preparation work. But this is where the rubber hits the road. This is when they're they're perhaps for the first time really engaging with their key stakeholders. No two personalities are alike, which means that maybe their management style is not the same as their predecessors. and. Even more so, they need to have quite a bit of support. I wouldn't call them training wheels, but if you can imagine a child's tricycle, you know, they can be seen as training wheels because it's it's an extra level of support that really helps get that person what you may call a smooth landing into the role. It's ensuring that they have, you know, whatever support they need in terms of interacting and engaging with, with other key stakeholders. You know, if there's a little bit of a functional gap still remaining, that that is being filled as quickly as possible and that they get the support in terms of filling that role. But what you don't want to do is just hand the keys over and and exit, leaving that person to fend for themselves. I'm not saying that they will fail immediately because, you know, they can, at the end of the day, make their own way. But you want to set them up for success as much as possible. So ensure that that support network is there to help them get a smooth landing. So for our listeners who are considering to start their own succession plan, what advice would you give them? Where can they start? Well, the first thing that I would say is start early. Start having these alignment conversations early. Perhaps there are people who are on your radar um, to be potential successors. Have the one-on-one conversations to ensure that you have those that alignment. Communicate and communicate often. Don't avoid the tough conversations. Even if you think that the person may not want to assume the role, let it be something that they tell you so that you know for sure, so that you can go on to the next person. Never assume. At the same token, never count someone out who may have a desire to assume the role. So ensure that you're communicating, ensure that you're communicating often. I would also say that a succession plan should be a part of an overall business continuity plan, particularly for family-owned businesses that are so reliant on one or two key people. So ensure that you're not just saying, you know, in order for this business to succeed, we will have one or two successors. Ensure that your business is fortified to, to move forward in the event of something major happening. And the last thing that I would say is seek advice. 
just as you would call up a lawyer for legal matters or an accountant for your accounting, there are succession advisors who can guide you through the process if you need it. But you can only get this advice and it's only valuable if you start the process early. Great. That's wonderful advice, Rochelle. If our listeners want to find you, how can they find you? Yes, they can get onto our website, which is www.successionstrength.com. And for the listeners who are from family-owned businesses, there's a free assessment that they can take on there to help determine whether there are potential issues within their company's own succession plans. And of course, they can email us at, and the email address is info at successionstrength.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Rochelle, and for sharing all your nuggets and advice. <laughs> you are more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That was Rochelle Clark, a global strategist and founder of Succession Strength. We just spoke about preparing for succession. In our next episode, we will speak to Jay Kornat Surapat, a transformative facilitator and managing director of Transformagent Academy based in Bangkok, Thailand. We will talk about the transformative power of experiential learning. Highlights from this episode and contact details of our guest is available on our new website at www.leadersoflearning.asia that is www.leadersoflearning.asia If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, or wherever you download your podcast. If you believe this podcast show will help, a friend, a colleague, or a family member, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. I'm your host, Ling Ling. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.